Hello and welcome to episode number 28 of the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's your week been? Yeah, it's been good. Um, I'm, I might be a bit weird this evening because um, my baby's got a bit of a cold. So we've got these drops that you sort of put on to a flannel and put the flannel on the radio and it sort of makes the room smell and supposed to unblock the sinuses, but... It's gone straight to my head, man. It's, it's, it's pretty strong stuff. <laughs> well, at least we've got something to blame your bizarre opinions on this week. Oh, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> how about you, man? You've been playing some football, ain't you? Mate, I'm a new man. Uh, I'm, I'm delighted. I've been playing football two weekends in a row now. I've been doing five aside. The barber's open tomorrow. I'm excited. It feels like a new world. I mean, I've been trying to do it myself. It hasn't gone too well, but um, uh, fortunately no one can see on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm so delighted that this podcast is audio only. My hair is in an absolute state at the minute. I mean, to be fair though, buddy, you've been giving yourself dodgy haircuts for for years. You know, this isn't a a pandemic. No, 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 that's fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Who's got the the dodgiest haircut in uh, Portuguese football? Well, did you see Pedro Gonçalves' new Barnet? He's gone, he's gone blonde, uh, and you know some, you know I'm not going to lie, some guys it works very well. Pedro Gonçalves, God love him, he's not one of them. I don't think he's pulled it off. He'd have to be one of the worst for me. No, I don't mind. <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> we'll have to make this a featured section on another podcast. Footballers with the worst hair. Maybe in the off season when we're running out of content. Anyway, yeah. Let's waste any more time. Let's crack on. The first thing we should say, of course, when you're listening to this, Chelsea versus Porto would have already happened that second leg unfortunately it's Monday evening where we are so we're not able to cover that in time to get this podcast out for Wednesday you guys are going to have to tell us how the game went we're all going to be rooting for Porto of course 2-0 down it's going to be it's going to be very tough to come back from but you know Contessales had good comebacks before who knows we'll see what happens not much point speculating no it's not completely dead that's all I'll say there's a glimmer of hope well hopefully this time next week we'll be uh discussing uh, a glorious victory for Sergio Quintessal's men. We'll try and do some kind of special European show, maybe with a special guest to to make up for the the lack of European football conversation on this podcast in the last few weeks. But without further ado, we'll have to stick to this week and our bread and butter, which of course is the Liga Nos. And there is only one place uh, that we're going to start this week's show. That is with Sporting's 1-1 draw with Family Cow. And the question that everyone is asking, Barney, is surely... Surely they are not going to let this lead slip now. I think the thing is, what's been a bit unfortunate for them is that last few weeks, or quite a few weeks to my memory, is they're always playing off the Porto, aren't they? So there's that little added bit of pressure where when Porto aren't slipping, you know, it just ramps it up a little bit. The screw turns a little slightly. I mean, a person with this result, it wasn't that much of a surprise for me. I think, um, you know, Famicol really hitting top form now. Uh, We've really seen the best of them. And Sporting, on the other hand, haven't been that convincing recently. Um, you can go back quite a way with that, I'd say. And, you know, a few wins that were fortunate, sort of, they were fortunate to get over the line. To be fair, in this game, on another day, Cabral would have put that chance away at the end, you know. Mm. It's just been a, a, a classic Sporting result. But, um, you know, they still haven't lost, though. They still haven't lost. Exactly. And look, I mean, I totally agree with you. For me, of the two draws, because that is two draws in a row now, four points dropped in two games. And for me, the draw against Moro ends last week was the much bigger surprise and, and for me, the much more damaging result. Uh, and given, the, like you said, the Fortnite family have been in recently, it's a pretty re- reasonable result uh, on paper. Uh, we will go into the ins and outs of the game in a second. And when you look at sporting statistics, I think you could argue they'd be quite disappointed not to put the game together. But just to speak about, Barney, the atmosphere amongst the fans 
uh, and kind of online after the game about the team at the moment. There seems to be a lot of negativity. There seems to be this uh, narrative building about, you know, are Sporting going to give up the league? Are they going to bottle it? I mean, let's not forget, yeah, it's a long season. No team is going to win every single game. You know, you're going to draw games. Uh, now, of course, mentality is so important in football and the way that these two draws have come consecutively and with the kind of added aspect that this is the end of the season coming pretty soon, it's obviously easy to understand why sporting fans and, and rival fans might feel like the pressure is, is getting to the players. But like I said, let's not forget earlier in the season, Sporting had a number of wins with last-minute goals, games they could have easily dropped points at. So over the course of the season, you're going to get lucky. Some games you're going to get unlucky. All these things come back around uh, and they're still unbeaten over the whole of the season. They're still six points clear of their nearest rivals and they're still, most importantly, at the top of the table. Now, for me, these next few games are going to be a huge test of Amarim's management, undoubtedly the biggest test of his career so far because he needs to get that team onto the training ground and calm everybody down. At the end of the game last night, Amarim got himself sent off for having a go at the ref. Once the full-time whistle had already gone, he'd lost his head basically in that moment. And for me, that does show one of the main areas of weakness for him as a manager, which is that he still needs to learn to calm himself down, lead the team by example, because if he's losing his head in those moments, how are the players supposed to compose themselves? You know, Someone in that camp needs to be calming everybody down, reminding everyone that, they're still top by six points. They're still the best team in the league. They've got a great opportunity next week to get a win against Ferenz and get back to winning ways, you know. So I think everybody just needs to take a step back and have a little bit of a reality check at this point. Yeah, I think that's a really good point you make, Albert. Um, and I think you're right. They are fortunate that next week's game is against Ferenz. It is on a Friday, so it's before Porto plays. So there's that little bit less pressure. I think in this game, I for me... Paulina was quite interesting to watch in this game and also the fact that Thiago Thomas started alongside him. I thought that was an interesting decision in itself. I think um, Nuno Santos was perhaps unlucky not to start there. But there was a few moments, one sticks out for me, where Thiago Thomas should have played the ball back to Paulinho quite early on in the game where Paulinho was just open and he didn't. And I think there was moments where it just didn't look like it was clicking at the, the front end of the pitch. I thought Pugnia made some great runs, uh, created some good chances for his colleagues. I think that's going to gel hopefully very soon. And when that does, I think that should be enough to carry them through. But for me, I, I actually I just wanted to focus on part of Family Cow, which I think contributed to this being such a tight game. And it's the, it's the centre-back pairing of um, Rickelli and uh, Big Patrick William, because we've talked a lot about Family Cow's attack recently because the goals have been flying in and they've been brilliant. But this centre back partnership, they look so solid. There was a couple, there was one or two like goal saving challenges in this game. And I thought they, you know, it's easy to forget about them. I think they've been a real key factor in Family Cow's success and in them getting a draw in this game. I totally agree with that. Patrick William, particularly for me, stood out. I mean, he's one of a number of players who stepped up in form recently. The other two that I've also particularly thought have stepped up recently is Anderson and Jaime up front. Brilliant to watch. Uh, Anderson, five goals in four games now under Ivo Vieira. That's, you know, such a fantastic return. Uh, we've been waxing lyrical about Family Cow last week and for a number of weeks, really. And to be honest, I'm not sure what more we can add uh, to what we've already said, other than just to say, you know, they're playing so well. It's been a fantastic transformation. For me, honestly, they are in the top four teams in this league at the moment on current form. And from Sporting's perspective, some criticism of Paulino after the game, which I thought was quite harsh. I thought he was one of the better players against Morrowinds. I think he got an assist in the game against Family Cal. The disappointment in the game probably comes from a sporting perspective, perspective when you 
dig into some of the statistics in the game, you think obviously about the missed chances of which there were one or two, notably, as you said, Joanne Cabral and Thiago Thomas, I thought had a great chance to score, which he didn't take. Um, and as much as we praise family cow, it's also important to say they only had two shots in the whole game compared to sporting. You had 15, five of which were on target, both Thiago Thomas and Paulinho on the pitch, unable to capitalize on those chances. So that is a problem. Uh, like you, I think Paulinho will gel into that system eventually. But at the moment, you have to say the inability to take chances is costing them. I mean, credit to Pote. I think his the way he took his goal was really good. I think that was a tough finish to do. But yeah, the the the, the standout chances at Springs didn't necessarily fall to play. I think that Tiago, Tom, Tiago Thomas one you mentioned was probably perhaps the biggest. Just a few points in the game where they just didn't really look like breaking them down. And I think I think Jao Mario had a pretty quiet game. Didn't see too creative. Um, they tried to catch them on the break a few times, and they just didn't. They didn't link together um, very well. Sporting, so yeah, it's it's an interesting. It's a really key point of the season, isn't it? And like you said, they cannot let their heads drop. They cannot stop believing that they can do something. And perhaps just they might get a loss. They might get beaten this season. And to think that that's not the end of the world. It's still a six point lead. There's less and less games left to play. It's just, I'd hate to be a sporting fan though, isn't it? It's just oh, really... Honestly, honestly oh. I simplify so much. The pressure is so... Just crank it up. Absolutely, man. And I mean, you look at the running that they've got left. They've got two tough games in those last eight. They've got Braga and Benfica to play. So potential for two losses. But I think for me, if they win the rest of those games and at least draw one of those other games, you know, they've still only dropped five points and they've got a six-point lead. So it's incredible how even a couple of games ago, we were talking about Sporting having a 10-point lead and now we're looking at them realistically. If they're going to win this league, it could be, you know, one, two or three points. So it's going to get very tight. Uh, before we move on, I just want to talk about Ruben Amarim again, Barney, because he did roll the dice quite a lot for this game. He made some changes. As you say, he started with Thiago Thomas and Paulinho up front made two changes at half-time when things weren't going so well. Braganza and Matheus Reese came on. He used all five of his substitutes. What did you make of his team selection, of his substitutions? Braganza came on, I thought was pretty good. Other than that, he couldn't quite find the key to unlock that family cow defence. Yeah, I think when Braganza came on, he looked good. I, I saw someone uh, had a hot take on Twitter saying that uh, he's a better number six than Paulinho, which... I, <laughs> when you think about going forward, you know, yeah, he, he actually is. So, uh, yeah, that, uh, that was a positive move. Yeah, the big, I, like I mentioned at the beginning, the big one for me is Thiago Thomas. I mean, he's been all right this season. He's um, he's deputized when he's needed to uh, fairly well. But with him and Paulinho at top, it just didn't seem to be that balanced, I felt. And I think I mentioned Nuno Santos. I think he would have been a better option. Um, he offers a bit more width, a um, bit more pace, because there was space in behind that family cow um, backline. And, they just didn't really take the opportunity. Yeah, and I think, as I mentioned earlier, mentality is going to be so important going into these last eight games of the season. How they bounce back from this minor setback uh, will be important to see. Let's move on, Barney. Let's talk about Benfica. Now, I think it'd be really good for us to spend some time talking about Benfica this week because it's been a little while since we focused on them. Most of our discussion this season has been about their shortcomings. It's certainly been an underwhelming season overall for them, but... In recent weeks, things have really started to click into place and they're in a fantastic vein of form. That's six wins in a row now in the league. Seven consecutive clean sheets. They beat Pastor Ferreira 5-0 in a fantastic performance on Saturday, albeit against 10 men. Uh, so shall we deal with that red card issue first, Barney? Because it was a bit of a talking point. Steven Eustachio initially given a yellow for that foul on Julian Weigl. VAR had a look at the replay 
And after reassessing it, it was rightly deemed, in my opinion, a red card for a very poor challenge. JJ wasn't happy about it after the game. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, many of the comments by Hoyes after the game. I thought uh, during the match, I thought, you know, it's a foul you see fairly often. And it was a red card. I think it was the right decision to send them off. I don't think he'd meant it maliciously. I think I saw someone posting on Twitter a picture of um, of Gonchalves doing a pretty similar f- tackle on a robot show, which, you know, didn't get picked up on. Um, <laughs> I mean, Jorge Jesus' comments are just way over the top and uh, mm. didn't really make any sense to me. Yeah, I mean, for anybody who's not seen Jorge Jesus' comments, he's come out and said that if he was the president of Passos he would have fined Eustachio uh, pretty bizarre comments pretty over the top the Passos president himself came out and said he will not be fining Eustachio who is a consummate professional and clearly there was no malice in the challenge so that was pretty bizarre you Eustachio himself came out on Instagram and sort of held his hands up and said you know on the pitch I had my ejections but after looking back at the replay it was a clear red card so you know Albert I would say on that from Passer's point of view, out of, all, out of those three midfielders, he is the last man you want getting sent off because I think the rest of the game there was just struggled so much. Well, I mean, let's get into the game, Barney, because following the red card, you know, it was 100% Benfica. They barely put a foot wrong all game, five goals on the night. I think my only criticism would be that they didn't score more. I think Severic straight offside for a good chance and Waldschmidt missed an absolute sitter where it looked like it was easier to score than to miss. But it was a great performance. And the very first player you have to give credit to is Harris Seferovic. Of course, two goals, two assists. Absolutely unplayable on the night. I think in the game, it was the best form I've seen him in in a very long time. And Passos just could not cope against him in this game. He was absolutely unreal, but I think absolutely the best I've seen him play. He worked really well with Rafa and Walshman. He was playing either side of him. His goal return this season has been brilliant. But not only that, Albert, I think the biggest thing for me was he has this leadership quality, this, this experienced player vibe that we've felt that's been missing from this Benfica midfield and attack. I really felt like um, that shone through in this game for me. Yeah, I think that's a great point and it's uh, easy to overlook that, actually. I mean, one thing that you could overlook is, of course, the connection that he has with Wolfschmidt, of course, both being German speakers and also I saw in his post-match interview that Sferovic was... Uh, a fluent Portuguese speaker so he has that connection he's able to connect between the manager and the other players and players like Vorgement so a very useful player to to have on the pitch Terrapt as well Barney also had a fantastic game he was undeniably one of Benfica's most creative players on the night he had a great link up with Severovic uh, Rafa got on the score sheet as well that was really nice to see and Gonçalves as well getting a goal from right wing back he's been another success story of Benfica in recent games. I think for me though, possibly the nicest moment of the match was when Seferovic incredibly selflessly set up Darwin Nunes for his goal, Benfica's fifth and Darwin's first goal in a very long time. He was visibly uh, emotional, holding back tears on the pitch after the goal. It's been a very tough season for Darwin Barney. I can't help but feel like both his ups and his downs have been extremely overblown by both Benfica fans and the media. I mean, I'm interested in what you have made of him this season. Well, I think I think first of all, seeing his emotion in the game is um, just a reminder that we're all human, you know. And I think you're completely right. I think both his highs and lows have been blown up. I don't think he's been done any favours by being played so much this season and the, the pressure is really put on him. I mean, I think in hindsight, admittedly, it's it's now evident that him and Seferic should have been rotated more at the beginning of the season. Benfica is a... a Huge club, a massive step up for Durham. So it needs to be supported better from now on. And if I'm honest, I don't think Jordi Zeus is the best manager to do that. 
but to echo what I've said already I've, about what class Axelfervich was with that assist and the way he celebrated with Darren, I think that sort of leadership, that sort of player is 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 going to be vital. I mean, he has got a lot to do to get himself back into that starting lineup. The way Severus is playing there, and it's how that's managed within the team, how that's managed by the fans as well, because there is a little responsibility to not over over pressurize the guy because he, he is young and he he will have a great future in the game. He just taken a little longer to adapt than we thought he would. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the management of Darwin Nunes has not been ideal. And as we've both said, it's been a season of massive highs and lows for Darwin, neither of which I think were particularly warranted, including the highs. I mean, he burst into the team with some great goals, some great performances. I mean, we were talking about rumours of him being linked with Barcelona after only a handful of games. And, you know, the hype was just so over the top and, you know, that followed up with a relatively dry spell. It's fair enough. Struggling to impact games, I think, was the key issue that he had. Not helped, as you say, by him being played alongside Seferovic, which I don't think was the right call. He was getting slated every week and it was so unnecessary. I mean, the guy's a young kid. It's a new country. He's shown a lot of promise. Uh, and I think he just needs people to get off his back. I wonder, as you say, which of the senior players in that squad are sort of putting an arm around his shoulders, getting his confidence back, keeping him grounded as well, you know, because yeah, he's got loads of potential. Uh, he's got some great attributes and all the hope, all the overhyping and all the over criticizing, really, really not necessary. And just to talk about Benfica for the rest of the season, Barney, what do you think their prospects are? I mean, we've spoken about how they're now in a rich vein of form and we've talked about Porto's ambitions to cut up with sporting, but Benfica themselves are only three points behind Porto. So for me, with their form there on at the moment, there's actually a real genuine chance of them overtaking Porto and into that second place and the second automatic Champions League spot. Because let's not forget, Benfica have still got games against Porto and Sporting to come. So you could see those as tough games. But on the flip side of that, you could also see this as a real opportunity to make up those points on their rivals. They've clearly turned the corner and are arguably the best team in the league currently in the last few games, for sure. I mean, a resounding win against Passos who have been one of the better teams in the league this season. They haven't conceded in God knows how many games now. And it seems weird to be to put a negative spin on things because I feel like, you know, I want to reiterate again, they are being, they're fantastic at the moment. It's so nice to see them play so well. But I just, what I don't understand is how it's taken so long to get to this stage. I mean, is it simply the signing of Emisio that's allowed him to play five at the back? But then that doesn't really make sense because you had Ferro in that squad before that and then who could have definitely done a job there. The fact that players like Darwin, Everton, Gilberto are not in the starting eleven, but the starting level that started this game for me is the strongest Benfica team. I can see them beating Sporting. I can see them doing a better job than they've previously done against Porto. Um, I think that would be the, the, probably the tighter game, the harder game of the two. But um, the sky's the limit. And like like I said, it's just such a shame it's taken this long to get to this point. I mean, the, the defence is the key, isn't it, Barney? As you say, seven clean sheets in a row in the league is quite remarkable. Although that said, you look at the, some of their names in that defence... A defence which contains Vertonghen and Otamendi. Otamendi, a Premier League winner, and Jan Vertonghen, a Champions League finalist. In this Portuguese league, with the standard that it is, you would expect them to be one of the best defences in the league. And Verissimo, a relatively expensive signing from one of the best teams in Brazil. So I would expect the defence to be as good as they are. But as you say, it's Vegas belief how it's taken this long to get where they are. There's been some serious mismanagement along the way. But who knows? Maybe they're ready to turn a corner. Maybe they're ready to go into next season uh, a much, much stronger team. Justin Passos, Albert, I'm, I'm starting to feel, you know, I've been guilty of this myself, but we, we all got a little bit carried away with them. I mean, they've played above their station for sure, but um, 
the last few weeks, their lack of strength and depth has become evident. The Hossie, they got a little carried away themselves, maybe got a little complacent, I don't know, but it's poor to get hit for five, even going down, even going down to 10 men. And, you know, they played a way too high line. The goalkeeper, Geordie, had a really bad game too. They've still got to be very proud of what they've achieved this season and they will certainly get a few more decent results. But I think the last two games have been a bit of a reality check for them. Yeah, I think that's been a couple of pretty disappointing results in a row for Passos now. I think you're probably right about the season catching up with them a little bit and their strength and depth. But they're sitting in fifth place with a nine-point cushion now and they've worked really hard to get there. So they should be comfortable in that position for the rest of the season. I suppose for them, it will just be about building next season if they do manage to scrape a European spot. Right, well, let's move down the table a little bit, Barney, and there's a number of interesting games that we should mention just below those European places. And I do want to talk about Vittoria, Santa Clara and Morrowinds, who seem to be in a kind of three-team mini-league at the moment from sixth to eighth place. Vittoria's struggles are well-documented and we're going to come on to their match against Point and Lens in just a second. But I want to make a point of highlighting one of the teams in the league that I think are one of the most easy to forget, and that is Morrowinds. Now, if anyone's listened to our show for a little while, you will have heard me put on record my admiration for Morrowinds manager Vasco Siabra. The man sacked by Bovista after their disastrous start to the season. He took over Morrowinds at the beginning of this year. And since then, he's guided them to eighth place, just one point behind Victoria Gimaraes and Santa Clara. So they came from behind at the weekend to beat Gil Vicente 2-1. Uh, and whilst it might be unlikely they've got an outside chance of finishing this season as high as sixth place so I do just want to mention them you know while our focus is usually either at the top or bottom of the table Santa Clara as well Barney a team that I just mentioned currently in seventh place on equal points with Victoria and with a goal difference of nine better than Victoria's they condemned Nacional to their second consecutive 5-1 loss on Sunday very worrying times for Nacional but continuing good form for Santa Clara yeah I think it was a, a great win for them. I mean, I see the national did make it too easy, but they're like you said, they've been one of the standout teams this season. And just to go back to Moreno's Albert, what you were saying about Vasco Ciabra, I think the other thing to add to that is his signings that he made um, in the January window that he, you know, he was able to make and change this team up a little bit. I think R- Rafael Martins, the experienced striker, uh, <laughs> kindly, um, it was <laughs> the, has been one of the standout players since he's come in, and it's some important goals from him. So we have it's very yeah, we just things very rare that we speak about them but you know consistently just as Santa Clara have done they've gone about their business they've got good point good wins good draw against Sporting the week before uh, just mm. yeah a, a really really solid and consistent team as well since he's come in very true very true and we always look out for their results in the Liga Nosh uh, let's talk about Vittorio though Barney Vittorio Kimaraj still currently in sixth place but unfortunately no real improvement under caretaker manager Bino well no improvement in terms of results anyway as they lost 3-0 to inform Porto Menendez. I think you watched this game a little bit closer than I did, so I'm going to let you run with this one. Let me know your thoughts on how this game went. Yeah, I mean, it was a disappointing uh, result from Victoria. I think perhaps the scoreline suggests a, a more one-sided game than it actually was. Just two really poor goals that they shouldn't have conceded and, and apparently that for me really shouldn't have been. It was awarded for a high foot, which I haven't seen for a long time. And 
I didn't understand how a stupid was supposed to see Beto diving in from behind. Him <laughs> to, so that was a big one. But I mean, the first thing for me that, I mean, it's, it's so obvious is Edward starting. I mean, he looks absolutely electric in this game. Two shots, two's on target, three key passes, six successful dribbles, got fouled five times. I really like the position he was being played in as well because almost next to a stupid up, up top because what I thought was a positive change on Bino was that he went with five at the back, which meant Sacco, the right, uh, was playing, who was playing right wing back, was offering that width from the right-hand side. And that was allowing Edwards to play more centrally and see a bit more of the ball in a, a better places of the pitch. So, yeah, I think that was a good change for Bino. But I actually wanted to, because we have talked about Vittorio Grouch a lot on this podcast recently, I did want to focus in on Portsmouth because, you know, an incredible run of form. And for me, it's, it's really... I've been so impressed with Paolo Sergio recently. I've got a little quote I want to read out from because it, it, it was really interesting. So this is what he said after the match. It is known that I like to have more of the ball than I had today, but it was the merit of Vittoria. We did our homework and we went to see how Bino came to work in the Team B. We knew that between the risk of Vittoria uh, bringing men in, we would have more, more space. We got goals with merit. These points are not enough though. We, you need to have your feet on the ground. I like the answers given by the players, but I don't like the noise. I think for me, these comments are so impressive because I... I you know, they generally feel like they deserve to be where they are on the table, and if not higher. And that sort of, I think it's worth remembering that, you know, this manager and most of this team could have been in Liga Pro this season, were it not for a technicality. But keeping and grounded in that comment that I don't like the noise is, is so important and so telling for me. That's brilliant. Yeah, I hadn't heard that interview. It's really interesting to hear the manager speak like that. I mean, we're so impressed. We're probably some of those people making that noise. So I thought it was a really, really strong performance from them. Again, from their perspective and, you know, Beto with a wonderful finish. Every game, he adds a few figures to his market value, doesn't he? So really, really playing well. But I think also important to highlight Elton Bowen-Water's role. He doesn't grab the same headlines that Beto does, but always involved in the goals, always one of the best players of the pitch and always just as good as Beto in that team, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think the thing with um, Bermorte is, you know, he's that he's what is he 27, 28, so he's a, he's that bit older. And what I like is when a player of that age, you know, who is not an exciting prospect, you probably don't think he's got much more to give, but then he sort of steps up a level. And this season, he really has. Sorry to go back onto Bestel, but that finish from him and it was just out of this world. I mean, yeah, yeah, we've everyone's talking about him, but that just I love that finish so much. Fantastic finish, wasn't it? The way he sits down the Victoria defender and in the way in is, is is just fantastic. He honestly, the guy's on fire. He's playing so well. From my perspective on Victoria, Barney, before we before we round up, uh, I took away two things from the game from Victoria's perspective. The first was that the body language when Porto Menendez's first goal went in was absolutely awful. I thought the players looked completely defeated after that first goal alone. And it was only five minutes into the game and the whole team already looked like they'd given up. So really worrying signs in terms of the confidence of the players. Uh, and two, as you say, Marcus Edwards, the only person on that Victoria team making chances, every single opportunity they had came through him. And he actually played very positively despite uh, the poor result. But at the end of the day, it was a very poor result. 3-0, they lost no new manager bounce uh, for Victoria and they really need to start picking up results from somewhere. Right, well, we're coming to the end of this week's Premier League chat and I think we should just end down in the relegation zone with one of the most surprising games of the week. A pretty incredible match that came out of absolutely nowhere. Boa Vista 3, Rio Ave 3, a game that had absolutely everything. Red card, penalty saves, last minute goal and of course the defining moment of the game Rio Ave manager Miguel Cardozo giving the universe two middle fingers 
after none other than Fabio Cointrao smashes home a 94th minute equaliser for his side. Listen, I know some people have condemned what he did, but if you're after highbrow, sophisticated football analysis, I think you have to find it elsewhere because I fucking love that. What a legend. <laughs> it's so good. It's like, it's probably one of the best things I've seen all season. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just love like, what a lovely series of events as well. Like Fabio Cointrao to score the goal as well. Like, oh, it's just, I'm all for that. I, I don't mind that at all. I'm going to get t-shirts printed with just the still of him sticking his middle finger up. <laughs> That's going to be brilliant. I mean, it was, a, you know, it was. I, I understand the emotion. It was, it was great for them to get the point. I think Bovista will be disappointed to have conceded so late on. They did, you know, it's just one of these teams, but we're going to talk about friends in a second, but they just seem quite unlucky, don't they? Uh, I thought Njeev, uh, who came in for the suspended Gomez, was really good. I love the fact that him and... Albert Vélez have very similar haircuts as well. It's like it's uh, <laughs> see, and they linked up incredibly well in this game. I thought they were fantastic. And then Jesus sort of a forgotten player for Bovis, I feel, because he was you know a regular start for them last season. But then obviously Alex has come in, Angel Gomez as well. This season. he's dropped right down the pecking order. Um, he took his two goals really well, and uh, you know two goals in the first fifteen minutes. It was it's a great start for them. Yeah, I think Bovis have been an interesting team this season. They've obviously picked up their form recently after a really bad first. Half of the season. When when you look at the table, personally, I think they will be all right. I think, sadly, the two relegated teams seem to be all but confirmed. And we know that the third bottom spot is a relegation playoff. I'm not worried about the relegation playoff, to be honest, Barney. I think, you know, whichever team finishes in that spot will, will easily come through that playoff. So uh, I think Boa Vista have done a good job to drag themselves just above the relegation battle. Rio Avdo, Barney, quite an interesting one. Completely anonymous this season. Uh, we spent quite a lot of our early episodes talking about them while they were still involved in the Europa League. It feels like such a long time ago now, but they have been completely anonymous. I can't even remember the last time we, we discussed them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just really disappointing. We've, we've highlighted players in that score before that excite us. Players like Geraldo's and Gelson Dalla. And then they've made it like a quite exciting signing in um, Rafael Camacho from Sporting as well on loan. Uh, Machino on over Man City. But they're just, you know, all these exciting flair players almost, creative players. But it just hasn't it hasn't clicked at all, and um, quite a confusing one. After the success of last season on the Carlos Carver, how it was probably always going to be a bit difficult to repeat that this season. But uh, they, they've certainly underperformed far more than I, I expected. Yeah, definitely. And while they're not in danger of being relegated, it's definitely been a season to forget for them and for their fans. Well, every week, Barney, there seems to be one relegation six pointer, uh, and this week it fell to Maritimo versus Forens. Now, Marita are an interesting one. They recently employed a new manager and had a fantastic first game under him when they won 2-1 against CD Nacional. They followed it up with a pretty dramatic 4-0 loss to Family Cal. So this game I was really interested in. I wanted to find out what direction they were going to go in this season, whether they're going to continue that good work they did against Nacional uh, or whether they were going to take the hit. And they won. They came through the game 1-0 against Forens. We tried to keep ourselves as non-biased as possible, but I can barely keep the sadness out of my voice that it does seem like, sadly, Ferenz won't be with us next season in the Primera Liga. But you have to say on paper, it was a a fair result. Maritimo just edged it for me as the better side, although Ferenz had a pretty good game. I I actually thought Ferenz was slightly better personally. I mean, they had a good first half, but the second half, they really dropped off. I mean, in terms of Maritimo, like you mentioned, the win against Seed National, these are two six-pointers that have effectively won, which is brilliant for them. And then with Ferenz, man, I just feel like we say the same thing every week. They just seemed a, a bit unlucky. You know, they 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 miss chances, good chances that usually Ryan Gould's created and no one can put them away. And 
and they let in sloppy goals and you know that's that's exactly what happened in this game um I thought Amit Abizeda was Mauricio's best player, uh, not for the first time this season. I think he's been probably one of their most important players in, in securing their safety. But yeah, friends, I'm, I'm, they're too frustrating to watch now, but I always try and make an effort just because of, of Ryan Gould, but they always, always disappoint. And yeah, it's going, a bit going. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure whether now is, is the right time to do it, Barney, but we really should sort of assess Forenz's season as a whole because we have kept an eye out for them the whole season. Uh, and the one thing we have said is that they've just always been that little bit of luck away from getting the results they need. And I suppose over the course of a season, you have to then perhaps reevaluate and say, well, maybe it's not a bit of luck that they're missing, but actually that's just the the, the level that they're operating at. I think when you look at this, the standard in that squad and you compare it with the standard of players in and around them, it might sound harsh, but for me, they are they are just one of the worst squads in the division, they've done well to put in some good performances. They've done well to, in many ways, this might sound like Damon with faint praise, but I think they've done well not to have an absolute embarrassing season. You know, the fact that they've kept themselves pretty much in it for this long is a good thing. And there is six games left, so there's no point completely writing them off. But yeah, it, do, it doesn't look great for them. It doesn't look great for Nassi now. And it does seem as if the relegation battle is taking shape. I think you're right to point out their abilities really because if you look at Maritimo, Rodrigo Pino, Shotogu, you know, they've proved they've been proven goal scorers this season. They haven't banged them in, but you know, they've they've got a few important goals here and there. CD National, even with Brian Rascos and uh, Brian Rush has, you know, they they've popped up with important goals throughout the season. But there doesn't seem to be anyone in that friends team able to do that. And Ryan Gould sort of his quality which really shines through. I guess does distort your view of that squad because you think a quality of a player of his quality essentially just doesn't rub off into the rest of the team, and it's, it's perhaps easy to forget that they are easily the weakest squad in the league. And um, it's just, I think you're right; they they've done well not to be the absolute um, whipping boys of this league this season. They they've done well to not be that. Right, this podcast has taken a really depressed turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I suppose the one thing it, it does show, Barney, is, is just the disparity in quality between. Uh, the teams in the league. I mean, when you compare Forens and Nacional, the two worst teams in the division so far with, you know, Porto, Benfica, Sporting at the top, there is, there is such a chasm uh, in quality between those teams. And, you know, when even when you look at, for example, how poorly uh, Vittoria Guimaraes have done, and yet they're still managed to hold on to their, to their sixth place. So there is still a, a jump in quality, even from sixth place to the rest of the league. It does make you wonder about, you know, the standard of the league as a whole and just how big the disparity in inequality is between some of the best and the worst teams. Yeah, but you could also um, slightly count that in the sense that clubs like Pasta de Ferreira and Santa Clara this season, you know, a team like Forens and Cine Nassau could, you know, be pushing for sixth place. That's, that's what's best, great about this league and um, and that's why we love it. Absolutely. The, uh, the quality of coaching as well can't be overlooked. The way that some of these coaches elevate these squads to above their station really is fantastic to see. Before we round up, I just wanted to bring, I know we're going to talk a lot about Porto next week, but I wanted to bring this statistic to you that might not be correct as of next week when we record. It's of the nine Champions League games that Porto have played this season. They're following league game. They've won, which, you know, is an incredible statistic. If you think of the, the same 11 that Conchita has played with every week in the league and in the Champions League, and the fact that they're able to do that midweek and then come back at a weekend and, and get a win. I, I, I don't think I've ever seen a team in any league do that. I think that's absolutely remarkable. I think that's a very interesting statistic, especially when you consider that one of the criticisms thrown at sporting is that they haven't had uh, Champions League football to, to cope with. 
Uh, and it shows that Porto have not really been hindered at all by their European exploits. I think that's a good place to leave it for this week, Barney, because we're going to be talking a lot, as you say, about Porto next week. Obviously, everyone listening to this on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday will know the result of Porto's Champions League uh, fixture. So we're looking forward to really digging into that and their uh, Champions League campaign as a whole. So we'll do that uh, on next week's show. But that's just about all we've got time for. We do want to say thank you very much for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week, as we say, talking about Porto, talking about the Champions League and talking about all things Liga Nosh. Uh, if you've enjoyed listening, why not leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts? That would mean a lot to us and really does uh, help a small podcast like us to grow. Uh, but I think it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you next week. Yeah, see you next week. <laughs>